there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On the last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Quentin and Roger were joined by former Video Archives employee Unruly Julie, who brought her love for Rodan to the store. It's a pure vision of an invented world. Probably explored as, as much as it's ever been explored before. You know, the Hondaverse. Tried out my brand of cigarettes in the Quiller Memorandum. Oh no, I haven't tried that cigarette. Try my brand. My brand is different. And experience treachery and greed on the planet of the apes. Problem with movie and series are the humans! <laughs> Need more apes, less humans! And now we bring you the After Show, your backstage pass to exclusive content, answers to your burning questions, and even more film discussion. I'm Gala Apery, and I'm drowning in mail. Yep, you heard that right. We've got mail. As season one begins to wrap up, join me today for our last mailbag episode. Didn't hear your letter read? Have no fear. I have tons of items saved for season two. So... Let's get into this ultra jam-packed after show containing postcards, letters, odds and ends, packages, and all sorts of knowledge the guys are about to bestow upon us. First up, a Christmas gift from Video Odyssey with all sorts of awesome sauce stuff inside. Okay, so you guys, we got a box from Video Odyssey, um, which is located... In Liverpool. Is, well, it's the UK's last video shop. Uh-huh. And they sent Stay us alive, guys. this really nice Christmas box, but it's no longer Christmas. It's actually wrapped all the way around to Quentin's birthday. Almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there so you go. So <laughs> technically, it's like Quentin's birthday box. But let me read It's like the, a Christmassy kind of birthday. Dear Gala, Roger, and Quentin, thank you for making your show. It's sheer delight, especially hearing you talk about VHS boxes and the cover copy. Keep on trucking. <laughs> to the Video Archives team, wishing you all the best seasonal goods and the festive period has to offer. Merry Christmas, Ringo. Big respect and love from Andy and all the tape eds orbiting Video Odyssey. 
Thank you. And you know what? They sent customer cards, actually. Oh, great. Membership cards. Quentin, yours apparently is in with a tape. Okay. So, but they sent gifts. Mine says Merry Crimbo. <laughs> <laughs> Mine says Happy Xmas. Yours is a Crimbo. Mine is Merry Crimbo. Must be a Liverpool thing. Uh, uh, Clint Kimbro from uh, the, the young surfer, yeah. the young nurses. Oh la la. Oh my wow. god, there's tapes in here. Yes. We can rip these open. Do we each have different tapes? And you know what? There was a bonus tape also included. So we, I think we do. Oh, yeah, oh, we nice do. Boxes. I'll have different tapes because... Okay, I got the Kenny Everett show. Kenny Everett was sort of a, a Monty Python-ish kind of show. I remember on Channel 13, they used to have the uh, episodes of it. Okay, for a fistful of dollars. Ooh, Perfect. that's a nice right. box. Yeah, yeah cool nice box. big uh, Liverpool box. Okay, and I also got... Mona Lisa, all right. Hello, uh, Mona, Lisa. Mona Lisa. Yes. Yeah. Bob Hoskins in the car, and he's like punching that guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, what did you get? Well, I got uh, a movie that I actually really like, and I've been thinking about, oh, uh-huh. which is really funny. I've actually been thinking about this movie, and I've been wanting to watch it again, uh-huh. uh, because it's Malcolm McDowell in a gulag, uh-huh. in a movie called Gulag. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I have a I have, uh, gulag. Where they have, yeah. that, they have that whole scene where they- um, It's a him and David Keith, right? Yeah, him and David Keith, uh-huh. and they, they have a whole like contest of who can make the mittens. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, like They have that whole mitten sewing uh, race. Yeah. And here is and my- uh, There's uh, his card, his membership card, and here, Roger, here's my, yours. My, my Nice. membership card. And here's mine. They can go back in my wallet with those other uh, membership yeah, cards I to, have. I'm going to Liverpool. I also got a movie called Victims. Women are the victims is, of a psychopath's vendetta. Let me see that one. Is, I don't know this movie. Is that, that's not the, uh, no, I don't know what this is. And then the last one I got is a compilation tape, the British rock, the first wave. Oh, wow. And it's like all the, uh, no, I remember we had the that, animals, no, no, we stones, had that, we hermits, had, hermits. We had that RCA Columbia one. I don't oh, know. We, what... Yeah, that's right. This is an RCA Columbia tape. And I got a little note that says, dear Roger, hope you enjoy the British VHS vibes. Would love to show you around the Beatles' haunts. If I, if we could tempt you guys over to Liverpool to record an episode. Oh, I've been to Liverpool and it is a lot of fun. Yeah. And I could be talked into going there to record an episode at uh, uh, a video odyssey. A video odyssey. I, I could definitely be talked into it. Warm analog wishes for the festive season. And we could do an episode uh, straight from the cavern. All yeah. right. Thank, thank you, Andy. Uh, video Odyssey in Liverpool. Check it yeah. out if you uh, want VHS in the entirety of Great Britain uh-huh. or actually in the entirety of England. So I got Roger Corman's Little Shop of Horrors. Um, I'm really happy. I love mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got Samuel L. Jackson and Robert Carlyle in The 51st State. Yes. And I got Train Spotting. Oh, my God. oh wow! Collection. I know. Wow. Now this is the film that they are dedicating to our archives. Oh, okay. Here, Quentin, this can find its way on the shelves. <laughs> the magical mystery tour. Oh, wonderful collection! A- addition to the collection because we just had one of Lance's crazy copies. Yeah, yeah of this. one of Lance's bootlegs <laughs> that he was renting. <laughs> That's a wonderful addition to the collection. Yeah, we were Especially finally coming- <laughs> legitimizing our magical mystery tour. Especially coming from uh, 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 Liverpool. Thank you so much to Andy and all of the tape heads orbiting Video Odyssey. Who knows? Maybe we'll be coming to you live from Liverpool next season. Here's another letter from Christmas that I took a little too long to read. This question comes from Christian and Emily in Germany. Dearest Video Archives family, 
We have been listening to your show for the past few months and wanted to take the time to thank y'all for the many hours of insightful entertainment and recommendations abound. Merry Christmas from the North Pole of Germany. Did you guys ever do anything special around the Christmas time at Video Archives back in the day? And if so, what were your favorite Christmas movies from that period? And Roger, last question before we go. Are there any plans to get Mr. Stitch back on the market? That's all. Here's looking forward to another successful year for the movies and for your podcast in particular. Nine, nine, nine. <laughs> du must ambos oder hammer sein. That's a no for Mr. Stitch. But Christmas, guys, at Video Archives, what was that like? I think about for like three years working there, I worked Christmas because uh, we got paid extra for working Christmas. But also, the, like, you really knew the customers. You were really part of the community. So the customers really knew you well. And so they all wanted to come down and rent something for the second half of Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. But also, they knew you were going to be there. So, like, they brought you a plate of food and you know, they yeah. just, you know, we had uh, wonderful customers. In a mom and pop store in a neighborhood, you know, you either become part of the community or you die. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you can also just die when the community <laughs> changes course. Yeah. That happens too. But during the time that you're running in sync, with the community, you are part of the community. You're part of the fabric of it. And so they know you're open on Christmas. And they know the kids who work there. And so all of a sudden, you know, so they bring you cake or cookies or a little or bit. Or a or, gift. Or, or a yeah. gift or, you know, or part of their turkey dinner. Yeah. yeah. Literally, like a couple of people came down with Christmas dinner for us. One of my favorite images I've seen in video archives actually is of the Christmas art painted on the window at yeah. Christmas. Yeah, yeah. We always had great, great art. We had great artists working at our store. Yeah, Great artists working at our store who would always paint the windows. We didn't farm that out to some company. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We did that ourselves. You guys have heard me complain about modern trailers more than once on the after show. Yeah, I'm kind of like a broken record. Sorry. But this next question has the guys show some love for awesome classic trailers. Haven't seen these trailers? Don't worry. Quentin and Roger reenact them so well that you'll feel like you're watching the screen. This question comes from Mark from Henderson, Nevada. Hi, all. I used to love movie trailers, but now they seem to be made out of a factory. (laughs) What are some of your favorite trailers? I think it's a company called The Trailer Factory. (laughs) (laughs) What are some of your favorite trailers? Keep up the good work, Mark. Thanks. Also, he drew the New Beverly Cinema always on film. Oh, right, cool. Yes, he did. Yeah, look at that. I'll give you one of the uh, uh, the taglines from one of my favorite trailers is uh, the 20th Century Fox movie, uh, Race with the Devil. Yeah. With uh, Peter Fonda and Warren Oates, Jack Starrett film, who is the yeah, co-director yeah. of treacher- uh, the treachery part of the treachery and greed on the planet. <laughs> the treachery and greed. The way that trailer goes uh, at the end, it's like, um, Peter Fonda and Warren Oates in Race with the Devil. When you race with the devil. You better be faster than hell. (laughs) (laughs) And then the closing line of the Death Wish trailer is uh, Charles Bronson in Dino De Laurentiis' Death Wish. The problem with having a Death Wish is a Death Wish always comes true. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. You know, um, the only one trailer I can think of for some reason, and that was uh, the trailer for Suspiria. Mm-hmm. 
that had like kind oh, of the, these the, the, inflatable the, letters. Yeah, the, oh, the, uh, the, the pumping, membrane. Yeah, the membrane, oh, pumping heart the, letters like Suspiria. And it was. You remember the egg cracking in the in the in the in the alien? I remember teaser. everything. I remember oh, yeah. the egg. Cra- I also remember the little uh, baby carriage in It's Alive. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, that that actually was a pretty good trailer. Yeah. The It's Alive trailer. The Fullers had a new baby today. Yeah, the other day. <laughs> yeah. It's a real cut up. this next question came all the way from australia and made me delighted to get all of these various recommendations from the guys this question comes from michael all the way from adelaide south australia oh wow wow hi gala roger and quentin hi michael my name's michael and i'm sending big love for the podcast all the way from adelaide south australia I'm currently studying film at university, and I've really enjoyed being introduced to certain genres and filmmakers I otherwise probably wouldn't get the chance to have come across or have explained to me with the amount of joy and disdain, especially when about animals doing double takes, (laughs) that you all bring to the table. (laughs) So, putting my faith in your hands, I'd love to know your favorite films and recommendations from the heyday of AIP in the 1950s and 60s. I don't quite know which films to make an effort to seek out as they're hard to come by in Australia. I've done a lot of reading about how AIP first came to be after both the Paramount lawsuit and the impact TV had on Hollywood. But I found a tendency to gloss over Roger Corman's initial work as burgeoning director-producer and instead discuss how he would go on to take future new Hollywood directors like Coppola, Scorsese, and Bogdanovich under his wing. The only film from his era I've seen is The Mask of the Red Death, which I'm sure you'll all agree is terrific featuring some of the best set design of the 1960s that wasn't done by Ken Adam. <laughs> Super keen to hear your thoughts on Corman and or other AIP practitioners' work, whether it be teenager exploitation movies, monster movies, Vincent Price movies, or biker slash hippie movies. Be kind, rewind, and long live Moonraker. Michael. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned uh, Moonraker, a couple of references to Moonraker Yes, there. he did, yeah. Well, I, def- uh, I, I definitely have a... a- a thing, you know, uh, especially if you're talking about the 50s and early 60s of AIP stuff that Roger Corman did and other practitioners of his ilk. And Mask of the Red Death is like the furthest that you've watched. Well, then, no, I would, uh, there's a, a lot of things to choose from, from AIP of his. Uh, uh, I think his best film as a director is Machine Gun Kelly. Mm. And, uh, and you get extra points if you can see a two, three, five. A, a, a version of that film because it was shot on a, what they called Superama at that time. Wow. And that was AIP's scope process. Um, but then, all, you know, obviously there's a, 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 a Little Shop of Horrors, there's Bucket of Blood. Uh, any of the movies that he did that were written by either Robert Town or Charles Griffith, you can't go wrong with them. But also in that same vein as uh, – um, working for AIP as uh, Roger Corman is also the director, William Whitney. Mm. The co-hit when Machine Gun Kelly came out was a film that William Whitney directed called uh, uh, The Bonnie Parker Story with Dorothy Provine, which is magnificent. Both movies have fantastic dialogue. It's, one of, I think, one of the great double features of all time. But uh, William Whitney also did, amongst JD movies, he did The Cool and the Crazy which is terrific. Another movie called Juvenile Jungle. Or, uh, uh, you know, he did a, a, a uh, he also did a really wonderful, AIP did a series of war films at the time and he did a really wonderful one called Paratroop Command that is fantastic. So if you, uh, so I think those are some really good ones when it comes to uh, early AIP movies to watch. That is, if you're not watching also, uh, uh, I Was a Teenage Werewolf, 
I was uh, I was a teenage Frankenstein. How to make a monster. Those great ones as well. Michael, I tip my hat to you. Long live Moonraker. Michael's question about AIP actually spurred further conversation about Roger Corman. Listen in as Quentin and Roger discuss Corman's film Rock All Night, along with the closest Quentin has ever come to doing a remake. And you know my favorite Roger yeah. Corman directed film. Which? Rock All Night. Oh, well, well, that's one of my favorites too. I can't even believe it. I can't believe we did the whole talk and I didn't mention, well, I did mention Charles B. Griffith. Yeah, Roger you, did, Corman you did, you did. But that's my favorite, probably my favorite script. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and that, that was a movie that I had never, I mean, frankly, I never really thought to be aware of Roger Corman beyond being a producer. And then you started introducing me to all of his work as a director. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until Rock All Night hit that I was like, whoa. And I remember like mm-hmm. just having, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I love Rock All Night. Oh, no, no. We you, com- you actually we, bought me the lobby card. Yeah, yeah. We commented, I still have it. We commented about it because the script is fantastic. All right. And Dick Miller is fantastic yeah, in it. Uh, that is the closest I ever came to actually doing a remake. It's rock all night because, okay, so I had done Reservoir Dogs. So I directed one movie at that time. And then that was the time that Deborah Hill and Lou Arkoff, all right, Sam's Mm -hmm. nephew or something like that, uh, was doing that Showtime series, Rebel Highway. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. where they did the re- where they had the AIP catalog of all their juvenile delinquent movies. And then so they hired a bunch of people to do uh, uh, like remakes of them. So like Mary Lambert did one, yeah. Ralph Bashke did one, Joe Dante, Alan Arkush, and Robert Rodriguez did. It was his follow-up to El Mariachi. Before he did uh, uh, was Desperado, it? he did- uh, Road uh, Racers? Road Racers. Road, Road Racers? Yeah, is, Road uh, Racer. That was part of that? Yeah, yeah, that was part of that. Yeah, so they hired all these guys to do this do this thing called Rebel Highway for uh, for uh, Showtime, and they wanted me to do one. Now, the thing is, every single person who did one did not. Nobody did a remake. They just took the punchy title, and then kind of did their own thing. I really liked Rock All Night, so I would have actually done a remake of Rock All Night. And I had a whole thing in mind about it. And so I would have done this whole remake of Rock All Night. Um, who would you who would you cast in it? Uh, well- uh, had, you, had you thought that far about it? No, I don't think I'd th- thought that far. I think I did, actually. I think I, actually, I think I thought of Tim Roth, all right? Well, playing yeah. the little guy. That would make right? sense. The Mike, like, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the arrogant jerk little guy, yeah. all right, that goes into bars and starts shit. My thing is, if you've seen Rock All Night before- it's part of the thing is these gangsters take over a, a, a roadhouse and hold everybody hostage. And there's this like small little guy that's like a troublemaker who ends up, he's like, he's a complete asshole, but he's the asshole you need in that kind of situation and ends up getting the best of the gangsters that are holding everybody hostage. But part of the thing about it is uh, uh, everyone kind of gets diagnosed for their own problems in the course of this drama. And one of the things is Abby Dalton is in and she plays a waitress in the movie and she's a singer but she's afraid to sing so the gangsters make her sing and then she sings and because she has a situation she's able to sing and then like later you know he's like see you're really good in my version of the story the abby dalton character would have been elvis presley all right so it would be like it takes place in memphis 
Elvis has made an appointment to go into Sun Records to record a song for his mom. But then at the last minute, he decides not to do it because he's just a little too nervous about the whole thing. And then, uh, uh, so he goes to this bar and then in the courses, then the gangsters take over and then they end up making him sing. And then, you know, he realizes he can sing. And so he's going to go and keep that appointment when everything is done at Sun Records. And then it turns out the asshole, so the whole thing is going on. And then this asshole bully that's kind of ends up stealing the show, that ends up saving the day. At the end, he goes, well, I'll go over there with you. And then Elvis goes, oh, by the way, what's your name? Oh, my name is Red. And that means that it was Red West. Yeah. The head of the Memphis Mafia yeah, was the yeah, asshole. Yeah, yeah. So then Red West, that's how Red West meets Elvis. And then they go uh, and change rock and roll history by going to uh, uh, Sun Records. <laughs> I, I kind of wish you had made that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I why didn't you? You know, I, I'll tell you, it's interesting, the reason I didn't. Uh, um, there was something about the way Deborah Hill was talking about it. She was a little too excited that I was doing one. <laughs> you want to be chased a little. She kind of, <laughs> no. You want she, to be pursued. No, 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 no. Uh, no, it was the, uh, no, it, that's what was going oh, on. Oh, she that was one. pursuing. No, she was pursuing. You want to pursue. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, she was too excited about me doing one. All right. You know, it was making me realize, oh, I'm kind of the man after Reservoir Dogs. I, <laughs> Really shouldn't be lining up with uh, all these other guys to do this Showtime thing. Maybe my next movie should be more important than a fun little assignment I'm doing with Showtime with a bunch of other groovy dudes. All right, that my next movie should be more than that. Uh, uh, um, you made the right choice. I'm, yeah, I'm here to tell you, yeah, you made yeah. the right choice. And she was like, you know, and she was like, I think yours is the one that we release at the theaters. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were doing a Showtime thing. If I'm picking my next movie, is going to be playing at the theaters. It's not going to be rock all night. As much as I like the idea. All right, but but when she said that, that made me think, oh, okay. If I'm if I have that position, then I don't want it. We'll be right back after this break. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. next, a question from British Columbia, all about essential truths in cinema. So this letter comes <laughs> from Anthony in Victoria, British Columbia. <laughs> Hello, video archivist. Question for the three of you. What are your litmus test movies? I.e., you feel so strongly about this title that it serves to reveal an essential truth about someone for you, depending on whether they like or dislike it. And what essential truth does a like or dislike reveal about that person? I don't have that anymore. I used to. I used to joke that like a uh, uh, Rio Bravo was my litmus test for a girl to watch. You had to appreciate Rio Bravo, or else uh, I couldn't appreciate her. I don't think that was ended up being the case. All right, but uh, uh, 
I never, I never had a litmus test movie, but I pretended I did. Yeah, the closest thing I think I ever had to a litmus test movie was probably Sorcerer, because at that time, and it wouldn't work anymore, but at that time, mm-hmm. it was not a respected movie. It was considered a flop, mm-hmm. and it was everybody was just razzing it constantly. Nobody, you know, they were always like comparing it to the other to the other one, and there were just you know there were those people who mm-hmm. were beating the drum for Sorcerer. Well, my litmus test movie, I guess, at the time was uh, Jim McBride's remake of Breathless. Yes. And you all failed. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> You I, all failed. But I came around. I came around. Yeah, yeah. And I came Everyone around. Everyone came around. And I came around early enough also. Everyone came around, but you all failed at the beginning. I'll tell you how I came around, though. I mean, you know, uh, it's him, you know, it's your, it, the poor man, I forgot your key. I forgot the key. Like that. It, Troy? Th- Troy? Is that you, Troy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically, you and me going around LA and yeah. visiting the, 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 the locations, locations, yeah, and how I kind of awakened to the idea that wow, this is a movie where Los Angeles is a character, yes, and it's a movie that loves Los Angeles yeah. as a character. LA is a backdrop, and it really captures LA as well as any movie has ever yeah. captured. LA. I didn't mean LA as a backdrop. LA is a backlot, as a backlot, as <laughs> yeah. a yeah, and and they capture that Santa Ana wind feeling, you know, with the. Gotta love those Santa Anas, baby. Yeah. Just stoking up the fire. You know, mine's kind of weird, but mine is rules of attraction. Because when I'm dating a guy and I wait to show him rules of attraction and then he doesn't understand the movie, Mm -hmm. which has happened before, I kind of understand, okay, then you don't get where I come from. Yeah. Because it's like something my dad made. And if you don't understand it and you don't like it, we can still be friends, but then you don't (laughs) understand me at my core yeah, yeah, and like yeah. where I came from. So that's mine. That makes sense. That's a really good answer. It's, now that I know that I'm going to myself use that on the <laughs> boys you date. It's, and- ha- actually, it's, happened, it's happened more than once that I really like a guy and then I show him that and he's like, what was that? And I'm like, Oh, okay. This is where that's going. <laughs> Nowhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nope. I love this question. Not only because it came from a listener in Victoria, which honestly brought me great joy because I actually have a ton of film friends up on the island, but also because it revealed the various complexities behind the movies that we hold close to our heart. Thank you so much for this fantastic question. Another question from Canada, all about, well, Canada. This question comes from Paul Marshall from Calgary, Alberta. Ah, Canada. Land of Norman Jewison. Quentin and Roger. I hope all is well. Love the podcast. All right. Here's my question. What is your favorite Canucksploitation movie? Thank you guys so much. Take care. Canucksploitation, which means- What was that? Canadian. Rubber gun. Rubber gun. Yeah, I was going to- That's actually, not really exploitation. It's exploitation. not technically exploitation. It's, it's an art m- film. It's more of an art film. Um, and there's plenty of like good- Oh, I, I can- Art there's film. A, there's a- Yeah, there's a bunch of good. There's a tremendous amount of good uh, uh, exploitation. exploitation films. I'm going to jump in first, and I'm going to say that uh, um, one would have to go when talking about can exploitation uh, with the king of Canadian can exploitation, mm-hmm. which would be David Cronenberg. And I'm going to say it would either be the ra- rabbit or the brood, but I'm going to go with the brood because mm-hmm. I like the brood better. Yeah, David Cronenberg definitely the red letter of. Of a uh, uh, Canadian exploitation, he'll tell you so. But uh, you know, another uh, gr- uh, terrific director of uh, Canadian exploitation is uh, William Fruit, and he did a really, really good uh, a psycho ripoff called uh, A Funeral Home, which is really, really terrific. And uh, he did a really good uh, uh, 
Last House on the Left uh, kind of a ripoff called uh, uh, House by the Lake with Brenda Vaccaro and uh, Don Stroud. That's really good. <laughs> Don Stroud! Hey, Don Stroud, he's great in it. <laughs> he's terrific in the movie. And yeah, he actually he has a lot of yeah he has he has a lot of fun films on his uh, 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 blue Mo- uh, was it uh, blue monkey with a uh, 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 Steve Railsback. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't seen oh, that's that. That's a pretty good one, actually. Yeah, I love Steve Railsback. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. And a like a five year old Sarah Polly's in it too. <laughs> you guys know that at Video Archives, physical media is our jam. This next question dives into our philosophy of collecting hard copies and understanding each other through what's on our shelves. This letter comes from Carl Heitmuller Jr., which, by the way, he has, like, the nice... I say this sometimes, but he has the nicest handwriting. I'm just going to flash you guys just this awesome... Oh, wow. Yeah. ...inside of the letter. First, <laughs> of course, thanks for the podcast. As others have pointed out, you don't need to know the movies to enjoy the discussion, although it does help. Your enthusiasm <laughs> is contagious, and you've definitely added some films to my watch list. My question is regarding hard media. As a middle-aged movie and media geek myself, I still own thousands of books, records, movies, comics, et al., and can't see that changing. To me, if you don't truly love a piece of pop culture, why wouldn't you want to own it? In the age of streaming where everyone is consuming everything on their phone and everything is ephemeral, what does hard media mean to you? Quentin and Roger, how do you explain its importance to younger people who don't see the point in shelling out money for a hard copy of anything? Gala, where do you stand on the notion of owning your media? Thanks again, Carl. And P.S., I love that you're making people write you actual letters and sending them via mail. Nice. <laughs> and he's shared some awesome stickers, which are just which really, which we really freaking freaking cool. Wow, cool. We will go to toy and stick them onto the bathroom yeah. wall. Uh, look, I more or less agree with him. I, I, I don't try to indoctrinate young people into this and telling them how they're wrong for this or that and the other. It's just, I, I, my passions speak for themselves. They're surrounding us right now. Uh, Literally. Yeah. I, uh, obviously I am, uh, I've always come from a, a collecting bag. All right. If I like something, I want to own it. Um, and I want to own it physically. I don't understand a world where you wouldn't want to have your, your favorite albums, uh, the way the content was originally presented. I don't understand a world where you don't want your favorite movies to have them either on DVD or, or Blu-ray or on video cassette. I don't, you know, I just don't understand that. It always is like, always was like the goal for me. And it doesn't count if you look them up for free. And you're not like <laughs> the great Gatsby, yeah. who had a gigantic library of books that were uncut. Like they used to have to cut pages in yeah, books. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And his whole thing was like, he's got this massive library. So you assume that mm-hmm. he's read it all, but he hasn't read a single book. Yeah, Your collection, this is an active collection where we're watching things and you're watching things constantly. I mean, one yeah. look at your house and you see stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of tapes. Okay. Well, that's also because we've been doing this show. All right? <laughs> it's been our office, our production yeah. office. So that's why there's stacks and stacks of tapes. But from from my perspective, I mean, growing up in a in a in a the fetishistic time yeah. of of um you know of collecting of collecting yeah. things, I feel like everybody got sold like a, a bill of goods. In the early 2000s, around the time the internet was peaking, where suddenly this notion that we should all be minimalistic and get rid of our books and get rid of all that clutter and everything is there on the internet and everything is available to you at all times. Well, guess what? That may have just been a way to get you to get rid of all your books and media and all your records. Yeah, and it, all sounds your... Like a, it sounds like a rollerball swindle. Yeah, it's like a rollerball <laughs> swindle. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. 
And so, and I actually kind of fell for it a little bit. I got rid of a bunch of my stuff at, you know, at, at a, at a certain point, I kept all my laser discs mm-hmm. for what good that did me. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> As you keep reminding. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and I will always remind you <laughs> till our dying days. <laughs> there is something about the idea of a Gesamtkunstwerk, which is a German architectural term used to describe uh, like works like by uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, for example, mm-hmm. or um, these architects who would design the furniture into the house yeah. so that the house is a complete artwork, which is what Gesamtkunstwerk means, complete artwork. And so the idea is that you'd sit there and you'd be listening to a record and you're looking at the art on mm-hmm. the cover and you're reading the back and the, you're flipping the sides and you're having this kind of intimate multimedia relationship with the with your with your the art that you're intaking and look look when i'm in look when i'm in uh, uh tel aviv i don't have all my records with me so i think of you know whatever usually record i want to play and then I, I look it up on youtube and usually that whole album is there i have to listen to it with a few different commercials but i play it and everything and it it suffices but it's not the same but it's not the same at all it's like it's it's it's, it's a it's a vastly inferior version of the same thing but it, i made the choice because i want to lug out my record collections between here and there yeah you know and so i paid the price for it but i'm paying the price and also this idea of per- the permanence of media in the cloud mm-hmm. is a false no uh, well, truth well that that that's they, just bullshit so forget about that, that, yeah. that, that that's and, enough of a reason to and i think ruin people the know argument. that people yeah. know that they don't yeah. need me to say it yeah. but like you can't trust that if uh, I don't, Warner, Time Warner Corporation, AOL Time Warner is going to hold on Mystery Tour in my hand. It's mine. I have it. I can throw it in the fire. I can do this or that and the other. But until I do, it's mine and I have it. I don't own anything else online like this. Yeah. I don't own anything like the way I own this right now. Even if you only own a, like a small uh, library of Blu-rays or something. Somebody can come over to your house and they can flip through your Blu-rays and they can get a feel of you. Uh, they can come to understand you. Well, okay. Well, that was the thing that I actually... That went away. That was sorry to see go away, especially during the nineties. Um, there'd be many times I was at a bar, and I was at a bar, and then it was closing time, and I'd started talking with maybe it was some girls, maybe it was some guys, maybe it was a mix of the two, and we decided not to go home. We went to somebody, somebody in that group's house. <laughs> now, almost ninety. Five percent of the time, you know, I'm the celebrity in the group. It wasn't like a this is happening with a bunch of celebrities. It was just you know whoever I was ended up talking to at the bar, and we had a good time. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to go to this girl's uh, apartment with, that she has with her uh, girlfriend, or uh, um, or this guy's apartment that he has with uh, his three roommates. Yeah, with his three roommates, you know. But he's like telling, "Well, we got beer there. It's going to be really cool." And like. Uh, and, and we've got a great apartment building, and the jacuzzi is like fucking super hot, man. It's like it's 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 it's, it's scalding. <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's, I guess we're all gonna. And apparently, that's all that's needed to get you to come over. We're gonna go into the jacuzzi. <laughs> we're gonna continue drinking. Okay, that's the idea. All right, uh, uh, and so we did that. And you go to their house, and then you would see their home video collection. Now they don't have a video collection the way obviously I have a video collection. They literally have their favorite movies that they could buy for $10 at their video store when they were selling them off. So price was a big, was a big thing about it. Okay. So they had to be able to buy it cheap. They had to buy it for 10 bucks or less, but they picked the stuff that they liked. 
all the guys had the same fucking movies. Everyone's got Scarface. They all had Scarface. They all had Reservoir Dogs. Most of them had Pulp Fiction. Most of them had, had Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Some of them had King of New York. Some of them had Mean Streets. And if they had King of New York, you'd know, ah, you're one of us. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 exactly. Most of them had The Godfather and Godfather Two. You know, you know, so, you know, those were the, the staples. Those were the absolute staples. It's interesting, the girl staples, because they weren't the, it wasn't like the seven classics that they had. You know, I'm like, you know, Pretty Woman might be one of them, Breakfast at Tiffany's. But then like, you know, no, this girl had Boomerang. Oh, because she was a big fan of Boomerang. This girl had Valley Girl because she was a big fan of Valley Girl. This girl had uh, this one or that one, you know. Uh, and it gives you an entry point, an uh, entry point to conversation. Yeah, this one has Splash, all right, you know. And so it was like, oh wow, that was an important movie to them. That was uh, this one had uh, Little Darlings. Yeah. This one had uh, 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 Bad News Bears. Yeah. And they were like, they were, you know, they all got them cheap, but these were all movies that meant something to them, and that. Fucking little video shelf made out of like cinder blocks, mm-hmm. made out of a, a shelf from a, a, a from a dresser drawer that they ripped in half and used cinder blocks. That and their little paperback collection told you more about them, yeah, than you're ever going to find right now. Yeah. What's on your shelf? Tag me on Twitter at Video Archives or on Instagram at Video Archives Pod to have your shelf pick featured by us. We covered one documentary on season one, American Nitro, which wasn't actually in the original collection. This next question brings up documentaries from the old days and which one stood out. This one comes from Jeff in the Bronx. Hey, Jeff in the Bronx. Jeff in the Bronx. Give me a Bronx chair. (laughs) Quentin and Roger, are there any classic slash underground documentaries that you associate with the video archives days? Wow, that is a good question. Is there? Um, yeah, I have one, what? which is Cocaine Blues. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, by well. Uh, John Langley, who is one of our customers, and which you actually have a copy, the copy of here. Yeah. Uh, were it not for Cocaine Blues um, and uh, me getting into a tiff over it with somebody else, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have ever gotten, become as good of friends with John as, uh, as I had. I would say also at the beginning of Video Archives, uh, we used to laugh a lot. <laughs> But Will's uh, Land Without Bread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the narration it is so funny. It's so deadpan in its tragedy of everything. <laughs> then they could not uh, uh, water the plants. And then they watered them with this water. But then they got dysentery and died. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's like every terrible thing that happens to the, the, the poor wretches, the poor devils of this village. All right. It's just... Given this like deadpan kind of way <laughs> that ends up being funny. It's really funny. We would play it all the, the time. The more, and laugh at it. Yeah, yeah. The more the more tragic he's recounting, the more deadpan he recounts it, the funnier it becomes. Yeah, it's just terrible that <laughs> we in in beautiful, prosperous Manhattan Beach are there laughing at land of La- bread. <laughs> laughing, <laughs> laughing at the poor devils that are the stars of land of bread. <laughs> Next up. A letter from a professor, which spawned a very beautiful recollection from Quentin. This letter comes from Andy Hagman from the Department of English at Luther College in Iowa. Ah. Any relation to Larry? I don't know. We will find out. I'm sure he'll write to me and Mm -hmm. give me that answer. Dear Quentin, Roger, and Gala, 
Thank you all for your eclectic, insightful, and zany show. As a lifelong film fan, I love the energies you bring to the ones I've already screened and the new ones I'm experiencing right after listening. As a professor of film and literature, I take all kinds of notes on the textured ways each of you walk us through formal and narrative choices and what they make happen. Oh, wow. Before my question, your shared focus on a woman called Jeff and Slithis reminded me of Carol J. Clover's note on boyish names for final girls in late 70s, early 80s slashers. Mm. Stevie in the Fog, for example. Hmm. My question is... What is a memorable scene or two where a bird plays a role? I ask because my mom and grandma love looking at the windows at birds. They are both gone, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood really got me through my mom's dying. So the question Mm. is in their memory. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is Moonraker. (laughs) (laughs) The pigeon double take. The pigeon double take. (laughs) A major role. (laughs) Sorry, I had to, Quentin. I had to. What a very weirdly specific... Uh... You know what's funny is I'm actually taking a bird class right now in college. Huh. Um, I'm taking birds in mythology. Um, so, like, I'm thinking about birds constantly. Well, oddly enough, it was funny because the, the scene that came to my mind isn't a bird. It's a butterfly. Hmm. Well, it's is Rodan a kind of bird? Rodan is a kind of a bird, but that's not what I was thinking about. Uh, 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 but I was thinking of a butterfly. Well, that, that almost counts. Yeah. Because you kind of think about the wings. Yeah. It's all about the wings. It's a scene from a Japanese movie uh, called Swallowtail Butterfly. Oh, yeah. And I love this movie. It's, it's a, an epic film. It's an epic film. And it, for all intents and purposes, it was the pulp fiction of Japan when yeah. it came out. And it was the kind of thing where it, like, it, divided, it divided the movie audience, where it's like you were either hip and you got it, or you rejected it. Yeah. It has this moment where... Um, one of the young leads of the film is, is uh, uh, getting a swallowtail butterfly as a tattoo. The the tattoo artist who's doing it is a, a, a American actor that's been acting in Japanese movies for a long time. Mickey Rivers, I think, is his name. Is no, you don't just sit here like a stupid blob, but like I draw on you. You're asking me to to do a butterfly. I want you to go back and I want you to think of uh, uh, first time you saw a butterfly. What was the story? And so she goes, well, I, she goes, no, go back further than that. Further, 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 further. Until finally, you know, she's a toddler. And she tells a story where she's in a room. I believe her mother is having sex with a man in the next room. And there's a butterfly in the room. She's trying to capture the butterfly but the butterfly's trying to get out. She's trying to open uh, the door, the window, so the butterfly can get out. But she's a toddler. She's really, really small. So she's leaping up. And I think she tries to make a little tower out of chairs to try to get to open the window for the butterfly. So she's balancing finally in all these chairs, trying to let the butterfly out. And she ends up crushing the butterfly. She ends up closing the door on it and crushing it. But she's telling a memory that she doesn't have. This is not a memory. She just didn't just think about it. He walked her back almost as if through a past life. And she's like tears coming down her eyes as she recounts the story. And she goes, well, did that happen? Did that really happen? Was that a memory? Was that a memory I remembered? 
Was that just a story or was that a memory that you dug out of me? And then Mickey Rivers goes, well, it was definitely a memory that I dug out of you. But the question is not, was it a memory? Of course it was a memory. The question is, what do you remember? Are you the little girl? Are you the butterfly that was squashed? Mm. <laughs> wow. Where did the memory start? Wow. And maybe that's why you're getting the butterfly. Well, I just want to say that's a little deeper than Moonraker. <laughs> Another- that's not hard to do. <laughs> I didn't have to go so deep with Swallowtail Butterfly. No, Swallowtail Butterfly is a beautiful movie, and it's full of stuff like that. It's great. It's a really powerful film. Another bird movie that comes to mind is The Visitor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, With yeah, the yeah, yeah. And- yeah. Oh, picking out when, yeah, pick- uh, the one that kills Glenn Ford. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. If you receive our weekly CounterTalk newsletter, you'll know that Professor Hagman and his students from Luther College were featured. His class is Festlithus, and it warmed all of our hearts to know that these students listened to our episode and actually discussed this movie. If you're an educator who uses one of our episodes for your class, make sure to let us know. And that's our last mailbag episode. Thank you guys for not only tuning in every week, but also for sending in all of the wonderful mail throughout our season. Again, if you didn't hear your letter read, I have plenty of stuff in my vault ready for next season. Next week, join Quentin and Roger as they watch one movie and one movie alone. Want to know ahead of time what we'll be watching? Here's a riddle for all of you loyal fans out there. I know you can figure this one out. If you'll excuse me, I've got some tapes to shuffle. I'm Gala Avery, signing out. See you next time on the Video Archives After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives. I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 